I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Deuteronomy. A few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron began a series, uh, we called it Collide, where God and family clash with culture. Last week, we asked the question, how do we live as God's redeemed people in a difficult and a hostile world? To answer that question, we went back to some words that were given to a generation of young people some 3,500 years ago. Words given to them after the great and colossal failure of the generation before them. Words that are still as true and important and relevant today as they were then. We find those words here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We commonly know these words as the ten words, the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. Last week we looked at the first four of these Ten Commandments given first in Exodus chapter 20 and now being given again to a new generation a young generation, as they are preparing to enter into the promised land. We looked at the first four commands last week that all have to do with our relationship to God. And now today as we pick up here in verse 16 of chapter 5, we'll look at the the remaining six commands which all deal with our relationships to other people. Two things I want to remind us of as we continue this study this morning. And the first is this. These commands, these Ten Commandments are not for unbelievers. God did not give the Ten Commandments to the unbelieving peoples of the world. He gave the Ten Commandments to His redeemed people who He brought out of Egypt, whom He was in a covenant relationship with. These were for believers. The Ten Commandments were never given as a way for people to earn their way to heaven. There is no way that you and I can earn our way to heaven by keeping these laws or any other laws. There's not enough that we can do to earn our way to heaven. The Bible makes that clear. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans chapter 3, verse 20, says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his, that's God's sight, by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. As I said, we can't, we can't be saved by keeping the law because none of us can keep it good enough. None of us can keep it perfectly. All the law does is make us conscious of the fact that we are sinners because we all break it continually. The only way that you and I can be saved, Paul goes on to tell the Romans a couple of chapters later, is by trusting Jesus Christ as our rescuer from sin. In Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been made right, we've been forgiven through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The only way to have a right standing with God is by God's grace. And we have that through Jesus Christ, 
by our faith and trust in what He has done in paying for our sin. If you're here this morning, you've ever thought that somehow you're going to get to heaven by earning your way there, please understand it doesn't work that way. God says you can't, you can't do it. And He invites you to, to, have, to be saved. He invites you to have a future in heaven, to have your sins forgiven simply by trusting in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. And He calls you to do that even this morning, even where you sit. Second thing I want us to remember about these Ten Commandments, while these are not for unbelievers, they are for believers. And whenever you talk about the Ten Commandments, there are a few folks who who come up and they say, they're quick to point out that we are not under the Old Testament law anymore as believers in Jesus Christ, and therefore these commandments are irrelevant to us. They are absolutely correct to say that we are no longer under the Old Testament law. We looked at that a little bit last week. We looked at some passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. We won't go there. We saw, also, for example, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. You are no longer under law, but under grace. We are not obligated to the Old Testament law. That was the Old Covenant. The Old Testament, we are now in the New Testament, the New Covenant. And as we noted last week, that all of these Ten Commandments, except for the Fourth Commandment regarding the Sabbath day, every one of these other Ten Commandments have been repeated in the New Testament for us as New Testament, New Covenant believers in Jesus Christ. So therefore, while we're not under the Old Testament law, these Ten Commandments are still a great resource for us to look and see and answer the question, how does God want us to live as His redeemed people? Matter of fact, as we're going to notice today, when we get to the New Testament and we're looking at these, at these Ten Commandments, what we find is not only are they uh, repeated in the New Testament, but they have been elevated in the New Testament. The, the standards have been, have been raised to new heights. The bar has been raised. We are called to higher standards as those who live under grace rather than those living under law. So with that in mind, let's pick it up here in verse 16 and let's look at commandment number 5. Verse 16, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. He tells this this new generation as they're going into the, the land of promise, he says the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. What does that mean for us to honor our father and mother? Well, the Apostle Paul Writing to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, he repeats this commandment. As he repeats it, he also helps us, he gives one application of this commandment. You may recall Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And he gives the reason for it's the right thing to do. So one application of this commandment to honor our parents, honor our father and mother, is as children, we're to obey our parents. So if you're here this morning and you are a children, if you, and most of them went downstairs, but if you're here, you're living under the roof of your parents, you're living under their authority, you are to obey your mom and dad. It's the right thing to do. 
Paul goes on to say there in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, for this is the first commandment that has a blessing attached to it. Indeed, there are blessings included. And, and uh, we read it here in verse 16, that if we honor our father and mother as the Lord commanded, it says, for the reason, for the purpose, that your days may be long, and that it may go well in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Two purposes there, two benefits, long life and good life. Now, we can figure out pretty quickly that that commandment, this commandment and that promise is either faulty or it's not a very specific commandment individually that every person who obeys their mom and dad gets long life and good life. You obey your mom and dad, you honor your parents, and you will live to be 99 years old and all your days are going to be good. We've figured out that that doesn't work fully, not individually, not perfectly. What it is, it's like a proverb. It is a general principle which works. If you honor your father and mother, life will generally be better for you and you will generally live a longer time. That's the principle. And we can see how it works when we, when we think about it. First of all, when we learn at home to honor, to respect, to obey authority, our parents in the home, it translates from the home into other arenas of life. It transfers into the school. It transfers into the workplace. It transfers into society at large and dealing with authority. And if you have learned to respond to and respect and to honor authority at home, you honor and respect and respond to authority in those other arenas. And guess what? You'll have fewer problems. Things will go better for you. You will tend to live longer and live better. Learning how to honor and how to respect and, and deal with authority in the home with your parents also helps you and me to learn to defer to others, to give up my rights and my opinions, and to defer to those who are in authority. And we learn how to do that there even when we don't agree with them. We learn how to do that in other relationships as well, which helps us to have better relationships and is especially valuable in that day when you go to get married. Matter of fact, so much so that Many, many, many moons ago, decade, many decades ago, I started telling kids when we would talk about relationships and I, they'd always, you know, they're always wondering, how do I know if this is a good guy or if this is a, a, a good gal, somebody I really should think about getting married. One of the things I'd always say, if you want to know how they're going to treat you one day, look at how they treat their mom and their dad. If you see them treat their mom and their dad uh, poorly, if you see them treat them with disrespect, they will tend to do the same thing to you. And you would often see with kids, you would often see eye rolls and yeah, yeah, yeah. 35 years of pastoral ministry and I stand by it. When God says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you live long in the land, He was speaking something for our benefit. Learn it while you're young and it will bring dividends all life long. Something else I noticed, and by the way, as parents, well, I'll 
Let me back up the train here. I skipped too far in my notes. One other thing to notice here is the you and the your in this is plural. So as we'd say in Texas, it's y'all. Y'all, honor your father and mother that it may go well with y'all and that y'all may live long in the land. It's, it's not just something individual, it's something corporate and communal. When we all honor our fathers and mothers, we all benefit from that. And the converse is true when we all, when a majority of folks are not honoring their father and their mother, what happens is a breakdown in the home and that breakdown in the home moves into a breakdown in the schools and in the workplaces and in the communities and what you see is a lot of what's going on in the nation around us, right? What that means, by the way, is that mom and dads, we need to be careful to teach our children and to teach them at young ages to be obedient and to be respectful and to honor us. We do that partly for peace in the home, but we do that mostly for the benefit of our kids. And so that... We, we do that while they're young so that we don't have to, when they're 30 years old, take them to court to try to get them out of our house. And if you're not acquainted with that story, it was all over the news this week, just go home and Google it. But this is more than just about children obeying parents. It's more than just about those benefits. It also, we, we notice something else, and that's that when you read the command, it says, honor your father and mother. And I realize as I read that, that there's no exclusions and there's no term limits. Well, it doesn't say we do that because they are necessarily even honorable people. We do that because it's right. And it's not just while we are young, but it is while we are adults. And so adults... We are to honor our parents. This means that we need to have good attitudes towards our parents. And I realize that for some, they've had situations growing up that are not what they ought to be. And it's a challenge for some. But it's an opportunity for us to learn to forgive and for us to learn to honor those who sometimes are difficult to honor, we must do it. We must have good attitudes and good actions towards our parents. Jesus, when you might recall in Matthew chapter 15, as He is dealing with the Pharisees and exposing their hypocrisy, used this commandment as an opportunity to expose their, their, their hypocrisy. And I won't go into it, but He quotes the commandment and, and points out the fact that these Pharisees are hanging on to tradition and legally are justifying themselves while neglecting to care for their parents. And what we get out of that, among other things, but we can get that part of honoring our parents is caring for them. It is providing for them. It is helping to meet our parents' needs. And I'm making sure my kids get recordings of this. <laughs> honor our parents commandment number 6 verse 17 
You shall not murder. Do not murder. Human life is sacred because God created man, as Genesis tells us, in His own image. Every human life is a bearer in some form and fashion of the image of God. And so human life is sacred. And it is also sacred because God has given, He has, as it were, given breath into every human. Life is, human life is God's gift to each one of us. It is sacred. This commandment often raises debate among people. Well, how can we embrace this commandment and also, Im- and su- also support or embrace or allow capital punishment? The King James, if you read that, it says, Thou shalt not, and all of us know this, thou shalt not kill. In Hebrew, as in English, there are different words that are distinguished between kill and murder. And there's a distinction between those two terms. And just as it is in English, so it is in Hebrew. And this word, which King James translates kill, is best translated, as I think every modern translation does so, translated do not murder. Because there's a difference between those two words. See, killing... To murder is to take life without legal or moral justification. But there are legal grounds to take a life, like in execution, legal execution. There are moral grounds in which you can take a life, as in self-defense. And this word rightly refers to murder, which is to take life without either of those. This term murder also, though, can refer in in the Hebrew word, can refer to what we would say in English is manslaughter, which is the taking of another human life by accident and due to perhaps negligence or carelessness. And so what this is saying as well is don't take life deliberately, but we also ought to be careful because life is life has dignity because it's from God, we need to be careful that we do not take life accidentally due to carelessness or due to negligence. We need to be careful. And the Old Testament law has... Moses goes on in Deuteronomy and explains the laws. He gives many instances of why you need to... of how you the Israelites should take care that they don't allow a dangerous animal to run loose where someone else can be killed by their negligence. And so it should be with us. We should be careful that we do not needlessly expose others to risk or danger because we are simply careless. Now, the temptation here is to come to this as it is with many of these commandments and just go, got it. Don't murder. Check. I'm good. Just as we get comfortable and we say this isn't something I have a command with or we have a, that I have issues with, along comes Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, and He says this command extends beyond just the taking of a life. And He goes to the heart of the commandment and says, 
This commandment prohibits not only murder, it prohibits hatred. He says that we are guilty of murder when we murder someone in our heart. We wish them dead through hatred even though we actually don't do the deed. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in a room full of murderers. Actually, I'm standing. You're sitting in a room full of murderers. You might want to move a little farther away from that person next to you. Because I can almost guarantee that most of us have murdered in our heart. We've hated. Let's move on. I think it gets better. Commandment number 7, verse 18. And you shall not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Extramarital sexual activity is common in our culture. It was common in the culture into which the Israelites were going to go. God says don't go there. Sadly, it's not only common in our culture, but it's common in the church today. And sadly, at times with the Israelites, it became common among the Israelites. But it ought not to be so. And just as it was with the honoring of parents, this command will note it has no loopholes. No little escape clauses. No little, well, you know... My husband's a jerk, so it's okay. Well, my wife is cold. My, you know, this, my that. And we've got all our little excuses. And he says, no, no excuses. And of course, you also know that Jesus went on to explain that this commandment also extends beyond the act of adultery to the sin of lust. Again, Matthew chapter 5, a little later, he said, you've heard it said that do not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he says that we're not innocent just because we didn't have the opportunity or we didn't have the bravado to sin outwardly the way that we already wanted to inwardly. He says the sin is the same. By the way, the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians reminds us that those of us who are married, we have a duty to our spouses to help them to not be tempted in this way by looking to meet their physical and emotional and relational needs. A number of years ago, I was talking with a woman who was in for counseling. She was withholding affection from her husband and she said, quote, I hope he commits adultery so that I'll have reason to divorce him. And I say there is no excusing adultery. But please understand that such a person is not an innocent party in adultery and divorce. We're to look out for our spouses and help them along, help protect them. That's convicting too, so let's move on. Commandment number 8, verse 19 and you shall not steal. Pretty straightforward. God is establishing, establishing here the principle of private property, personal property. People have the right to have stuff and not have you take their stuff because you want it. Got it. 
don't take other people's stuff. We learned that one in kindergarten, and we don't do that. Finally, a commandment I can just mark, check. Got it. Let's move on. Well, by the way, Paul gives a positive encouragement. You're going to like this too. We're not to steal, Ephesians chapter 4. He who has been stealing, don't do it any longer. If you were a thief before you came to Christ, don't steal anymore. Instead, work. Do something, he says, useful with your hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. Instead of being thieves, now we're to be those who work, we're to be productive, and then we go and we give instead of take, and we give to those who have need. Positive something. Again, we go, I got it, I like that, check. And then something maybe we didn't think of. You see, we can take stuff from people, we get that. Malachi pointed out a problem. He said to the people of Israel, he charged them with another crime of stealing, and he says, you've robbed from God. And if you know the, if you know the passage, you might think, hey, wait a minute. Pastor, you said a few minutes ago we're not under the Old Testament law. Absolutely. By the way, Malachi says, You've robbed from God. The people said, how have we robbed from God? Malachi says, you robbed from God because you haven't given Him the tithes that you owe Him. And now you're saying over here, but we're not under the Old Testament law, therefore we don't owe God tithes because the tithes are part of the Old Testament law, and so we can't rob from God because we don't owe the tithes. And I say, you're absolutely right. Check. Accept. Something you may not have thought of. And quite frankly, I never thought of it in these terms before. Here's a familiar passage, one that we know pretty well. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, the blood of Christ. Therefore, honor or glorify God with your body. He says, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God because He bought you. We were redeemed, Peter says, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We know these verses well. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You know what the next verse says? We are His workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for what? Good works, which He's prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, if we put all that together, we were bought out of sin, out of slavery to sin, out of the consequences of sin, by the blood of Christ, God owns us. Why did He buy us? Why did He redeem us? For the purpose of good works, which is why Paul says, here, honor God with your body. But you see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're owned by God, you're His property, He bought you. And you said, instead of living to honor God, I'm going to live to please me. What have you just done? You've robbed God of what He rightfully owns. Is it possible to rob God today? Absolutely. I really thought I had a command that I'd nailed. 
again, we're not only a bunch, we're not only among a bunch of murderers, we're among a bunch of adulterers, we're among a bunch of thieves. Just maybe it'll get better. We got two more left. Verse 20, commandment number nine, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not bear false witness. In particular, this commandment has in view a courtroom setting and a witness on the stand. Don't bear false witness. Don't say what's not true. In general, it applies to all of our speech. And we're not to speak untruth. As those who are following the God of truth, it ought to be our concern to speak the truth fully. Speak complete truth. In particular, though, God is concerned here of protecting people from miscarriages of justice because of our lack of truthfulness. He's concerned with protecting people's reputation from our lack of truthfulness. Among other things, what this prohibits is this prohibits slander. The deliberately telling of a lie with the intent of harming another person. I've seen Christians do this, particularly in cases of divorce and child custody and ugly situations, and see people that I never thought would resort to all kinds of slander. It's a sad thing. This would also outlaw gossip, which is the repeating of a matter without regard to whether it's true or false. We're just spreading the rumors without regard for how they impact others. This also would prohibit deceit, which could be speaking the truth, but in a way that deceives. It gives the wrong impression deliberately. Like the first mate who was was upset at the captain because the captain had written down in the log an infraction the first mate had committed and it made him look bad in the record. And he protested. The captain said, it's the truth, it stands. So the next time the first mate was in was in charge of the ship and he gets to write the entry in the log, he puts in the log, the captain was sober today. <laughs> it's the truth. Ah. Uh. You see, and we can be that way. I didn't tell a lie, but we deceived. See, there's so many ways to bear false witness. The big point is we're to be people of truth. As Paul wrote the Ephesians, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. We are not to lie to one another since we've taken off your old self with his practices. And we're not to slander or gossip. One last one. You got one more shot to see if you can just keep one. Commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. The other commandments have dealt with our actions. This one goes straight to the heart. doesn't need Jesus to take it and, and extend it right to the heart attitude because it's already right there. Coveting is an issue of the heart. The word covet means to pant after. 
The word covet means to lust after that which someone else has. It's the dissatisfaction with what we have. It's the itch to possess what someone else has. While it's an internal sin, it can quickly and easily move into an external expression, but that's not what makes this such a dangerous sin. What makes it a dangerous sin really is something that we probably wouldn't think about. The Apostle Paul lets us in on it in the book of Colossians chapter 3. You, you probably know this verse. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and here it is, and covetousness, and what's the next thing? Which is idolatry. Covetousness equals idolatry. And we think that's strange. How does that work? Let's go back to what covetousness is. By the way, did you know there's a whole industry in our land that's devoted to covetousness? called advertising designed to make you and me covetous dissatisfied what we have with what we have and wanting what we don't have and what they have have you seen their car have you seen their house have you seen? Hmm. okay how does it work covetous begins with a dissatisfaction with what we have where does what we have come from I heard somebody say it, God. James says every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, coming from the Father of lights. God is the source of everything good that we have received. When we become dissatisfied with what we have, we are dissatisfied with God because we're saying, God, you haven't given me what I want. That dissatisfaction with God is now puts its sights on what we don't have. And now rather than loving God and being satisfied in God, we desire and we love what we do not have. Our eyes are over here. And what happens is we have moved from worshiping and loving God and seeking Him to worshiping and loving something or someone else. And so Paul says covetousness is idolatry, which takes us right back to commandment number one and two, and it brings us full circle. That's why this is a dangerous sin. Okay, we've seen the commandments. We've seen that none of us can keep them, and that's been verified by all these things today. We look at what they really are, and we go, oh, 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 oh. I fall short. But we look and we see that God didn't intend for this to be a way that we earn our way to heaven by being perfect. Rather, these are instructions and guidelines to help you and me see how do we live as godly people? What does God want to see in us as His people living in this world? This is a great place for us to go now. And we see it's very practical. It gets down to right where we live and who we are. But it raises another question. If that's really how we shall, how we should live, comes the question, why? Why should I want to? Why should I care? Because when we really start talking about this, some of this stuff, this is 
challenging. It's tough. Why? I could answer that a dozen different ways. I'm just going to give as we wrap it up very quickly here just two reasons why this matters. First reason is this. It's going to sound strange, but remember the mission. I don't know about you, but probably you're like me as a believer in Jesus Christ. You get upset when you hear, and it seems to happen continually now, that the Ten Commandments are being taken down and taken out of this public place, out of this courthouse, out of this school, out of this park, out of this whatever. They're being removed. Does that ever concern you, bother you a little bit? Okay. I get it. And it's it's a symptom that our culture is becoming more godless, more hostile to God and to His Word. It bothered a U.S. congressman a few years ago. And so he decided to, uh, and he started pushing to enact some legislation in the, in the House and in the Senate to get the Ten Commandments posted in the chambers of the House and the Senate. And he was one of many who were supporting this, but he was pushing it. But the fact that he was doing that isn't what really got the press. He, he made a big splash in the, in the news back a number of years ago. Here's what happened. As he's pushing all this, he was interviewed, and the interviewer said, what are the Ten Commandments? And he could only name three. I go, oh. But before we go, oh, I have to ask you, I wonder if before we ever started the message, I'd passed out a sheet of paper to every one of you and a pencil and said, write down the Ten Commandments. Could you do it? Or would you be with the majority of evangelical Christians in America today who can't? You see, it's easy to get upset because the world out there is rejecting the Ten Commandments and miss the fact that those who name the name of Christ don't know them much less live accordingly. When they weren't given to the world out there, they were given to God's redeemed people. See, it's perfectly understandable to me that an ungodly, unsaved person, an unbeliever, doesn't want to hear about the Ten Commandments and doesn't want them imposed on him, especially if he's hearing them from a bunch of people who really don't care enough to live them out. And so they say, hypocrites, leave me alone. And I'm reminded that the mission that Jesus gave us as the church was never Go and try to make an unsaved world a moral place. The mission He gave us is go and share the Gospel. Bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and make disciples. They will change because Jesus Christ is in them. You see, the mission is not bring the world under the Ten Commandments. It's bring the world to Jesus Christ. We've got to keep that in mind. That's the mission. So what does this have to do with the mission? Well, it's very relevant to the mission because 
For us to be effective in bringing people to Jesus Christ, we need to live as God's people ought to be living. And so we need to be looking back constantly and going, how am I doing? Am I living up to what I say I believe? And if not, I need to change. That's why it's important. Second reason why it matters is simply this, and I just want to take us to one more verse here back in Deuteronomy 5. In verse 27, the people had said to Moses, Hey Moses, you get whatever God tells you to do. You listen and you bring it back to us and you tell us what God says and we're going to do it. And God says, I heard you. And God says, that's awesome. And in verse 29, God says this, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. Man, I wish that's the way you would feel always. To fear me and keep all my commandments. God says, I want you to be like this always. I want you to always do what I ask you to do. Why? That it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Why is God so concerned that we live like this? Is it because God wants to see you suffer? Don't commit adultery. Oh, it's such suffering. Don't lie. Oh, it's so hard. Don't steal. Don't covet. No. He desires our good. That it may go well with you. God understands that our obedience to Him is where we find joy. It's in our obedience to Him where we find blessing. It's when we ignore these things, we end up in a world of hurt. He's a good dad. That's why He gave us these ten words. Let's pray. Father, we needed to hear this. Some of us, because perhaps they needed to hear for the first time that You love them, that there's a Savior in Jesus, and they need to trust Him. Some folks here, because they've been running from you and they've been looking at what you expect from them and thinking, that's horrible, I don't want it. They need to understand that it's out of your love that you have given these. Others here, just because they need encouragement. They needed to hear it matters. Some of us, just because we're forgetful and we've forgotten some of these things. We need to be reminded. We've let a little bit of covetousness sneak into our heart. We've let a little bit of spite and anger and we've taken that out on others with our tongues. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray You'd speak to us in this time that we might then renew our love for You and our commitment to live as Your redeemed people even in a difficult and a hostile place. So may you be honored in your people. In Jesus' name and for his sake we ask.